0: This is Jewish Board Talk with Cherise Ziffert only on 101.9 High FM.
1: Natalie Solomon is a clinical psychologist who consults to Bella Vista Shea. She has studied the impact of the COVID pandemic on teenagers. Now that life has started to normalize a little bit more, it's easier to assess what the effects of the pandemic have been and how to help our adolescents cope. Natalie, welcome and thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. Natalie, what have the challenges been and what has changed now that things have calmed down a little bit?
0: So I think the challenges have been many. And I think that um, to start off, it's useful to understand that COVID has been a developmental collective trauma, that even if one wasn't directly impacted by the loss of a loved one, the loss of stability, the loss of structure and predictability have really impacted most of our youth at their core. And so I think that at a base level, people's level of regulation, their sense of safety and predictability in the world, and their just tolerance for frustration is low. And so even though we've returned to some levels of normality, there's an underlying grumble of dysregulation for most of our youth and adults, actually.
1: So what has been most apparent? What are you seeing most? Are you seeing teenagers acting out in different ways? What's affecting them or how they're playing out, I should say?
0: Certainly from the mental health perspective, um, we see um, a huge uh, increase in anxiety disorders, depression, um, and just kind of a general dysregulation. And I think in part, it anybody who was kind of sitting on the cusp of kind of any kind of anxiety issues was kind of pushed over the edge, as well as kind of access to care was limited. So those who would have kind of been intercepted early enough and helped with mediation might not have gotten the necessary input to assist. So we're certainly seeing an increase in OCD, anxiety, Panic disorder in general. If we take it out of kind of the mental health realm in terms of disorders, we are seeing kind of a fatigue, a lack of um, stamina in a lot of our children, a general intolerance for frustration, and just an easily dysregulated youth around us. And in part, we also have to understand that the adults who would typically intercept and assist with levels of dysregulation are dysregulated themselves. So their mediation, is not kind of as it it needs to be. I mean,
1: there are a lot of issues that you bring up and um, we're possibly going to go into another, well, hopefully not another lockdown, but another new wave, which again, bring it's triggering. We don't want to have to go through what happened already. We're we nervous. We're already nervous as it is just by virtue of the fact that we've had such a nice, long, so-called normal time and everything may or may not be taken. And there's a lot of uncertainty, which I imagine compounds the situation even more.
0: Absolutely. I mean, again, also, if we think our nervous systems have been hyper aroused, and they haven't yet settled. So even anything small feels triggering for many of us. So even though we have had some period of normal, there's kind of a collective memory of what wasn't normal, and this anxiety of now what? At the same time, I do think that we've had vaccines that have changed kind of the landscape. We've also have a lot more knowledge. Um, we've also seen that um, our hospitals are better prepared. Our doctors know how to do things. So there is that added sense of calm to kind of buffer the anxiety. But I think in terms of the stuff around isolation, around loss of income again, um, and just a general destabilization, that easily comes back into the fore when we think about another wave.
1: And there's also, of course, fatigue. People are just tired of talking about COVID, of thinking about COVID. We want to get our lives back again. And it's just, we just don't know you know, again, there's that uncertainty. Is this new wave going to be bad? Is it going to be like Omicron? You know, we, we don't know. So specifically teenagers are vulnerable. Are they more vulnerable?
0: So definitely teenagers are very vulnerable. First of all, because it's a developmentally vulnerable time when their brain is very malleable and particularly uh, vulnerable to experiences from the environment that teenagers learn through being in the world more so than necessarily adults who might find kind of their space in the world of work or in family. Teenagers kind of their um, developmental tasks have been curtailed as they haven't been able to go out into the world in a way that is useful to them. Also they haven't had opportunity to practice novelty seeking and risk taking in a safe way. And so we almost derailed normal development. Um, And of course, um, trauma is imprinted on the brain differently during adolescence, at that, it's a much more sensitive period of development than perhaps later stages.
1: So, how do we help our teenagers, Natalie?
0: We need to start off by acknowledging what we've been through, by naming it by kind of understanding that this has been hard, because I think that it's important that we reflect back on our experience. Um, Then I think what's important is to provide as much predictability and stability as possible, even though, you know, within our realm, not that's not always possible. And then opportunities for connection, because I think particularly our teenagers have struggled around isolation. And even though we know that teens use a lot of technology um, and they Have been able to connect in that way, the research is actually showing us that wasn't enough to buffer the experience and that actually they need face to face connection. So I think giving them opportunities to reconnect, creating a sense of meaning, creating a sense of future. Um, and just as much stability and predictability as possible.
1: You know, you talk about the, the teenage years being vulnerable and um, socializing is such a critical part of teenage years. And it also comes with, you know, some more confident, some more awkward and the, the lack of opportunity to go out and socialize in, in a safe way. Are you seeing more and more teenagers not wanting to go out, not wanting to socialize or possibly so even the extreme that they kind of are out of control now?
0: Yeah. So I would agree. I think I see both um, ends of the spectrum. So there are some that are really hesitant about going out into the world again. Those who might have been socially awkward or with kind of social anxiety, they haven't practiced or exercised the muscle. And so it feels overwhelming. And so many of them resort to further isolation, even though it might be safe now. Um, And then, of course, there are those who kind of are pushing limits, who... um, because they feel like they've missed out, quite dysregulated, um, needing more and more, but not actually tuning into their internal needs in terms of their nervous system. Actually, this is too much. This is hyperarousal and I need to slow down. Um, And obviously needing parents to step in and assist in terms of creating some limits
1: for teens. Natalie, for all of us, does this delay like adolescence or is it just missed? Is it possible to kind of come back, you know, when you're a little bit older, you know, you've had two years of pandemic, you you were 14, now you're 16, potentially 18. Do you delay those times and catch up when you're 18 or are they just gone? Are these years just gone and do they have a permanent negative impact?
0: So I think the first thing is to recognize that adolescence actually extends between 12 and 24 years of age. So we've got a large um, span of time to practice these developmental needs. At the same time, we can't minimize the experience of trauma and uh, minimize a significant um, life-altering experience. Having said that, that's the stuff of life. People have lived through wars. People have lived through earthquakes, through um, significant experiences which were outside of our control. And that doesn't mean that everybody necessarily had development derailed and wasn't able to find kind of typical developmental experiences. What's very important with trauma is to always look at the impact of the event um, how it's being interpreted and the after effects. So for those kids who've had significant losses, such as a bereavement, well, the after effects are devastating. If there isn't a mediating factor, if there isn't another adult who's able to help them make sense and integrate this experience with meaning, then they're much more vulnerable and then development is derailed. So I think it depends how the experience is um, made sense of and how kind of community and uh, relationships help to buffer the experience.
1: Natalie, we've all been wearing masks during social um, interactions. And the mask, to some extent, really does, it protects you, but it also hides. It hides your face. It hides, you know, possible, you know, visual clues and how social interactions are going. And I wonder if you think this has an impact. And if, again, we're missing out, especially teenagers, on cues as what's appropriate and not appropriate.
0: So definitely. In fact, there's a theorist, Stephen Porges, who talks about our poly Vagal system, where he talks about how we get cues of safety through our facial features and how absolutely crucial it is to read nonverbals for our bodies to know that we're safe. And in fact, when we've covered our faces, we've taken away significant clues, as well as we often talk louder, which our body experiences as shouting, even though it's not shouting, even though rationally we understand it, but our body at a Kind of at a neurological level doesn't understand it. So just at that level, there's dysregulation. However, having said that, I think that our teams are also very adaptable and that they have learned to kind of indicate with maybe bigger gestures or greater eye contact. Yes, I think there is an impact, but I do think there's always space for adaptability. And hopefully the masks will begin to, in time, become less important.
1: Natalie, if you recognize either you're a teacher or a parent, and you recognize that your child is suffering or a child is suffering, where can you turn to for help?
0: So I think that first to kind of check in with yourself, are you feeling regulated as the teacher and the parent? Because you are a source of connection and stabilization for the child. So I would always start with you. Um, And actually, um, you know, certainly there's times when we need to turn to professionals, but not always. And so I would start off with seeing if the family, if the school is able to contain. And if not, and that would be looking at um, the severity and the impact of symptoms, well, then certainly I would turn to social workers. I would turn to psychologists, and psychiatrists if necessary. But I don't think that's the first port of call. I think the first port of call is to try establish a stable environment and check in that you are able to provide some level of stability for your child.
1: That so useful. I can't help thinking, do most of us just muddle our way through lives, you know, our, our lives? And most of us just
0: think, what is sanity anymore? <laughs> yeah, well, certainly the challenges feel large and difficult. But I think just to kind of also be compassionate, we're trying and we're doing the best we can and we'll make mistakes, but we'll also get certain things right. Um, and I think that's, you know, we're just finding our way.
1: Well, it's easier to find our way when um, so much research and um, understanding has gone into it and compassionate clinical psychologists like yourself exist. So um, that makes our lives much easier. So Natalie, thank you very much.
0: Great. Thanks so much.
1: So just to remind you, Natalie Solomon is a clinical psychologist who consults to Bella Vista
0: Share. And she was talking about the impact the COVID pandemic has had on our teenagers.